All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Thank you again for joining us here on the set. Uh, Remember, wherever you are watching and or listening from, like, follow and subscribe so that you don't miss anything that's going on on here on the set of Studio B. Um, And I want to thank everybody for your followership, for your encouragement, for your emails, um, for everybody that liked, post and shared this podcast and gotten friends involved and um, enjoyed the conversations that we're talking about here on Studio B. Listen, as I said last week, we are looking to grow this to 10,000 subscribers. We're right at about four now. We're about 3,850, I think. Uh, We're trying to grow this to 10,000 by the end of summer. And I do believe that we can make that happen with your help. So please make sure that you share this, like this, make sure that you comment. Uh, All comments are welcomed. Uh, We can handle all the smoke. Bring it all on. Uh, Make sure that you are helping us to get to that goal of 10,000 by the end of the summer of 2021. Uh, man, today I want to, I've had so many, um, I'm coming off of a great week, man. I just uh, celebrated my 20 year anniversary with the love of my life, Miss Jamie Holman. Um, we've been married for 20 years, been knowing each other for 26. We have four beautiful children. God has richly blessed me and my family. I'm so thankful uh, for that core unit called Team Holman. Uh, She's been on the podcast a few times. Uh, She's the uh, children's ministry director here at the Church of Bethel's Family and just a wonderful woman of God. And I so appreciate her, man. So I'm coming off of a great week where we just got away uh, for a couple of days and just kind of enjoyed each other's company. I just found out that my, uh, my, my only son, my only begotten son, Um, Also got accepted into college, so he'll be going into Sam Houston in the fall of this year. So I'll have three kids in college, Lord have mercy, and then a fourth child to follow in the next two years. So y'all be praying for me, maybe kick a couple dollars my way so that we can help pay for this thing, Uh, do a GoFundMe account or something like that, man. But God is good, and I am extremely, extremely blessed. Uh, But last week, when it's me and my wife were enjoying our time together, we had uh, some great conversation. I thank God for uh, my wife that we're able to talk and that we actually do like each other. So it's not just, yeah, we love each other. I mean, that goes without saying, but we actually like each other. We actually enjoy um, each other's conversation and enjoys each other's company. And so we had a great time last week and we were just talking about a whole lot of different things. And one conversation led to another. We went to politics. We went Uh, to social issues. We went to marital issues. We went to our children. We talked about a whole lot of stuff. And it got me thinking about a lot of things that are pervasive in our land right now. And I've told this on the podcast uh, maybe about three to four months ago uh, when I talked about a podcast that, that was titled What is Truth? Go back and look at that one. I believe it's a great podcast, but it was based off of John 18 and 38. And I believe, and I say this with a grain of salt because it's not that one scripture is more better than the other or more important than the other, um, but this is one of the most provocative uh, scriptures in all of the Bible. It is talked about by the mouth of Jesus when he is going to Pilate, and Pilate asked him, what is truth? He said, what is it? Uh, Pilate, who was the governor um, in Israel, governor on behalf of Rome, sit there as Jesus is getting ready to be tried before the people. They brought him to Pilate because they wanted Pilate to pass a death sentence off on Christ. 
um, because he had blasphemed the name of God. And here it is, Jesus and Pilate are interacting in conversation. And then Pilate asked Jesus this all important question that I even think that even in 2021, we still grapple with. And it is, what is truth? Like, what is it? How do you define it? Um, who says what is truth and what is not truth? And as I begin to start thinking about this question, uh, I came back to our world, our society, our culture. Um, you guys know that we live in a world right now that celebrates lies. Uh, we live in a world that not only celebrates lies, but even more importantly, they reward lies. Um, you know, when 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 you are a a purveyor of truth, when you try to stand on the truth, not that everything in your life has to line up, cross every die, uh, every I, uh, you know, cross every T, dot every I. However, but you're trying to live a life of integrity. You're trying to live a life that is worthy. You're trying to live a life that is worth living. Uh, if you are on that side and you're trying to make the most of the time that you have here on earth, you are a salmon swimming upstream because you are in a culture that celebrates error. And I'm talking about from the top all the way down. Uh, we live in a world right now that celebrates and rewards evil behavior. And so when you're in this particular culture as a Christian or as just somebody that is just trying to live a decent life, um, you are going to be swimming upstream against the culture because you're trying to live a life that is worthy uh, of God's praise. And so when Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? I believe that that particular question even reigns right now. What is it? Uh, what is it? What, what is this truth? Um, as me and my wife were talking, she said, you know what, you've always been an inquisitive guy. You've always asked questions. You've always wanted to do the research. And that's something that I've always had all my life. I think I get that actually from my mom because my mom is always the why person. You know, why, 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 why? And never in a disrespectful manner, um, never in a manner to, you know, to bring suspicion to the person that we're talking to. But you just want to know it's why. You know, we're living right now in the most technologically advanced age that we've ever been in. Information is readily available at your fingertips. It can be had by anybody who wants to go after it. Knowledge is absolutely available. And so ignorance right now in 2021 is a choice. Uh, you can literally know what there is to be known. Now, there are some things that you can't know. Uh, that's Deuteronomy 29 and 29, the secret things belong to God. But there are some things that can be known. And so I've always had that as a part of my personality that I just want to kind of know what's going on. I want to know and ask the why question. And I don't believe that the why question is a, um, a disrespectful question. I just believe that I want to know why. And there's a lot of things that are going on right now in our culture and in our society that I believe that we need to be asking why about. I was very, very encouraged uh, last night uh, where a young man came up to me and said that uh, Studio B helps to fill in some of the gaps with some of the things that are going on in the world. And we try to be very informative, but we also try to be as best we possibly can neutral to the side of truth. And that's the side that we try to stand on It's truth. And, and, and maybe we don't get it right all the time because biases always come into play. But we try to be as as relevant to truth as possible to toe the line to truth and to try to give what I believe is one of the things that is missing in our culture right now balance 
um, on both of the extremes, whether left or the right, to bring people to um, a center place, to try to gain perspectives from both sides. And so this young brother came up and said that, you know, there's some things in which he did not know that by watching the podcast that he was informed on. And those are kind of things that really bless me because that's what we're trying to do is merge those kind of current events and what about what does the Bible say and merge them to what does God say. And so in that same vein, I want to talk to you today about something that is in our world, okay? Uh, now, let me slow down and, and break this thing apart the way it needs to. So everybody, I know that uh, in the last, uh, I would say, seven years, at least in the last decade, at least going back to 2010, um, politics in America has become a religion. Um, it has become a religion that has torn up communities, families, friendships, um, has driven a wedge uh, in between uh, people that in otherwise would be friends for life. Politics, unfortunately, in the last decade has become a religion where we are now bowing down at the altar of politics. And so politics has now invaded our world in such a way that it is constantly before us in a way that in my own personal life, and I'll be 48 years old this year, in my own personal life, since I've been really engaged in this process that I've never personally seen before. And so now politics is on the front stage, is, is always on the news. You, you can't get away from it. The political scene is always in your face. But the Bible has a lot to say about politics. And whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, policies, um, bills, amendments, and laws that are passed down from our three legislative, from our three um, governmental branches will eventually, at some point in time, knock on your door. It will come down to Main Street. What happens in Washington, what happens in Texas, in my case, what happens in City Hall in Houston, in my case, will eventually make its way to your doorstep. That's just the nature of politics. It may be a slow roll. It may be very lethargic in getting to your doorstep, but eventually it will come knocking on your door. And so when you're looking at all of the things that are going on, I know it's easy for a lot of people to check out. Uh, because it may seem like it's too much. But the thing that you have to ask yourself is, how does this affect me, my life, my community, my way of life, my family, my people in my circle? How does this or how will this, even if it's not a present, uh, uh, a present thing, how will this affect me and mine and my circle? Because make no mistake about it, it will affect you at some point in time. And so I know that the political debate and I know that the political landscape right now is very, very tumultuous. I know that, you know, it, it is a polarizing environment right now. But the Bible has a lot to say about government and about politics, a lot to say about it. I just told you about Pilate, who was the governor uh, for Rome, reigning in Israel or Jerusalem at that time. And so you had the church, essentially, um, having to acquiesce to what the government said. Now, in Acts chapter number 5, verse number 38, P uh, Peter says here that um, when somebody tells me to do something, I must acquiesce to what that person does in governmental forms, except if it causes me to offend or go against God's standard or against God's word. 
And so there is a caveat there to not only, um, yes, we must be in submission to the government, except if it causes me to go against what God said. And so there is a Christian view that I believe is more prevalent than the actual governmental view. And so again, what we're trying to do is take the mainstream issues and say, what does God say about this particular issue? And so there's some things that are happening in our government that have been happening in our government over the last 10 plus years that are absolutely reaching Main Street. And I believe that it's going to reach a crescendo. Now, here's why I say that. Because everybody, the last of the last days has to get here eventually. Um, We have to get to a point if the Bible is correct and what God said is true. We have to get to a place to where time begins to wind down. Time as we know it is not eternal. Uh, We're living in the time space continuum. We're living in a world that is based on a 24 hour time period, a.m. and p.m. Uh, We're not living in the eternal state. You have to leave this time-space continuum in order to get to eternity. But while you're here, you're living in time. And time has to, at one point, come to an end. And so the Bible talks about what will it look like in these last days. And so Jesus said, and I even touched on on this last week on the podcast, but Jesus says to the Pharisees that you can go outside and look at the trees on the the leaves on the tree and you can recognize the seasons. You can tell me when fall is coming. You can tell me when summer is here. You can tell me when winter is here. He said, you can look at the leaves on the tree and be able to discern the seasons that we're in, but you can't look at what's going on in the world and recognize where we're at on God's timing. And so I believe that we need to look at where we're at on God's timing. And all you got to simply do, people, is just simply look at how much the world is pulling away from the things of God. Uh, I will say this, that America is not a Christian nation. Um, America is a nation that has Christians, but America is not a Christian nation. Um, America has uh, America is a nation that has Christian principles Um, But America is a nation that does not practice Christian practices. And so there's a difference that we need to understand. Um, Yes, we have in God, we trust on our dollar bills. Yes, when you go into the court of law, you are made to put your right hand on the Bible and say that you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God, and the God in which they are referring to is the Bible that you have your hand on. As you go to the Supreme Court of the United States and you look up in the rafters, you will see in sculpted marble images of Moses with the Ten Commandments. And so America has a lot of Christian imagery in it. Uh, We have a whole lot of Christian sayings. Uh, We have a whole lot of Christian things or real Christian-y. But the practice of Christianity is not within the fabric of America. Uh, And and you've been seeing this trend kind of come to a crescendo over the last few years, especially, and I kind of relegated that to the last 10 years or the last decade. I want to further that and go back to maybe around 2000. For the last 20 so years, you were seeing America do these gradual shifts away from the things of God. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that America is a Judeo-Christian nation uh, because they are a Judeo-Christian nation in name only. Um, because the policies and the things in which America puts his hand on is absolutely antithetical to the things of the Bible. But it's a good thing to say that we have Christian beliefs because that makes us seem more moral. But we're not a Christian nation. And so as you look at America gradually pull itself away from God, 
in the same way in which the children of Israel did, you also have to look at the result of when Israel said, God, we no longer want you. And what God allowed to come within the walls of the nation of Israel. And he allowed these things to come in because Israel kept saying, God, we don't want you. We don't want your practices. We don't want your precepts. We don't want your laws. We don't want your statues. We don't want you reigning over us. We don't want you telling us what to do. We don't want to decide what's right and what's wrong. We want to do what we feel. If it feels good, that's what we want to do. In essence, that's what Israel was telling God. And God eventually gave Israel what they wanted. And when he gave them what they wanted, All you got to do is go back and look at the book of Daniel. Israel got carried into captivity by the Babylonians. And so when God took his hand off, when God said, I'm going to give you what you keep asking for, they got carried into captivity and the nature of Israel changed from that day forward. Now, God said that I'm not done with you. Now, I'm going to I'm going to allow these 70 years to pass and I'm going to allow you being in captivity to pass. You're going to be in captivity. You're going to be under the strong arm of Babylon, but I'm not done with you. And so in the same way that Israel said, God, listen, we're done with you. We don't want you reigning over us in the same way. I see America doing that same way, that same thing as well. And we've been doing that for quite a long time. So morality now is kind of like a buffet line. We kind of walk through life and kind of pick out uh, what we want and what's convenient to us without really measuring it to an objectionable truth. And as I've said many times before on this podcast, in order for truth to be truth, it has to be a truth that does not change. If truth changes, then it wasn't truth to begin with. Uh, It was a social norm and social norms change over time and over generations. Uh, Different values, different opinions begin to pop up on the landscape. And so in order for truth to be something that you can build your life on, it must be consistent. And so therefore, Jesus said, Uh, in, In Hebrews chapter number 13, that I am the same yesterday, today and forever. I am the Lord and I do not change. Malachi chapter number two says that I am the Lord and I do not change. He is truth. John 14 and six. I am the way, the truth and the life. So Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, which makes him objectionable truth. He is he is he is a he is truth that does not change regardless of what's around him. That is something that should be very comforting to us who value truth. And so I want to talk about um, today some things that I see on the landscape. Now, now please hear me. I'm not going to talk about this 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 this. 5,000 letter uh, letter word called intersectionality. Um, I'll touch on it, but I'm not going to expound on it. But this intersectionality of where we are right now in 2021 will come to your home. And what I'm getting ready to discuss right now, all of this information, you can find this on congress.gov. You can find this on all any old, any, any, any website that is valid. You can find all of this information that I'm getting ready to talk about. This will come to your house. And even more specifically, this will come to the house of God. This will be something that the church will absolutely have to deal with. Because I want to talk to you about the language that is in a particular bill that just passed. Many of you have heard, I don't know if many have researched, but many have heard about the passing of the bill called H.R. 5, which is called the Equality Act. 
Uh, if you go to Congress. Um, Congress.gov, uh, you'll be able to find this under the legislation page on Congress.gov. So this is available uh, to any and all who want to research it for further review. But the H.R. 5 Equality Act was passed by the 117th Congress um, on March the 17th um, in a Judiciary Committee. It passed the House, uh, passed the Senate, and now in, well, it hasn't passed the Senate yet. It's on its way to the Senate, but it passed the House on March the 17th of 2021 in the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee. Um, this particular bill... Uh, was sponsored or introduced on February the 18th, 2021 by Representative David N. Um, and this is a, a, a politician that presented this particular bill to Congress to pass. Now, I want to give you the details about this because remember now, intersectionality, this will, the way that politics works um, is what happens in these high levels of government, whether on the federal um, level, whether on the state level, or even on the local level, will eventually get to your doorstep. Okay, so if they if they pass a tax bill, uh, that tax bill will work its way down to your home and your taxes will go up or go down. It, it's just the way of the world. It's just how it works. And so this particular bill, H.R. 5, which is the Equality Act that passed in the House of Representatives on March the 17th, 2021, is as followed. I'm going to read this verbatim. And again, you can find this on Congress.gov on the legislative portion of their website. The Equality Act, this bill prohibits a demonstration, uh, uh, discrimination based on sex, sexual orientation, and gender identities in areas including public accommodations and facilities, education, federal funding, employment, housing, credit, and jury systems. Specifically, the bill defines and includes sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity among prohibited categories of discrimination or segregation. The bill expands the definition to public accommodations to include places of worship, establishments that provide exhibitions, recreation, exercise, amusement, gatherings, displays, goods, services, or programs or transportation services. The bill allows the, part, the, the Department of Justice to intervene in equal protection actions in federal court on account of sexual orientation or gender identity. The bill prohibits an individual from being denied access to a shared facility, including restrooms, locker rooms, dressing rooms that are in accordance with the individual's gender identity. That is H.R. 5, the Equality Act um, that has just passed the House this year. That has a lot of meat in that particular text, and it is worthy of our discussion. Um, as you look at what is going on in our nation, we have a divided nation. We have a nation that is split down the middle. 
we have uh, supposedly um, race relations at an all-time high. We have racism on every front. We have white supremacy over here. We have all of this other stuff that is happening around the world, apparently right here in the United States. And the first act that was passed by the Congress was the Equality Act. Now, I want to read specifically why this is important, because it is important, everybody. Uh, Let me just say this as a pastor. I believe that equality should be the norm. I don't care if you're black, white, green, purple. I don't care if you're if you're heterosexual, homosexual. I don't care if you're LGBT. Everybody, everybody requires equality under the law, right? Because you are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. Every person d- demands respect. Respect is not something that you earn. Respect is just something that you give because you're talking to another person. That's made in the image of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, how in the world can you say that you love God whom you've never seen, but you hate your brother that is made in the very image of God? He goes on to say that you're a liar. So God absolutely demands that humans, a basic human, regardless of whatever preference that they may have, regardless of the skin tone, regardless of the the religious affiliation, regardless of where they're at on the map, regardless of what neighborhood they stay in or what economic situation that they find themselves in, every person demands respect. And so every person should get respect simply because they are a person. So as a pastor, I believe that to the core of my being because I believe in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that every man was created in the image of God and in the likeness of God. So regardless of whether or not and whatever practice that you may practice, I may disagree with it. You may disagree with how I live my life. But at the basis of us both being humans, we got to have mutual respect for one another. And so that's at the core of everything that we do. And so I don't ever want anybody to be misconstrued about where equality is. I believe in equality for all, but I do not believe in equity for all. Equity and equality are two different arguments. Equality comes from God. Equity means to control the outcome. I don't believe that there's equity for all because I believe that different different people put in different amounts of work and based on whatever work that a particular person puts in, they get the reward of that work. So a person that does not put in the same kind of work as person A does not receive the same kind of work as person B. That's equity. I don't believe in giving equity for all people. I believe in equality for all people. All people are meant to be equal. All mean, all people, whether you're black, white, or indifferent, when you go into a court of law, you're not supposed to be seen by your color. Your color is not supposed to dictate the sentence that you get for a crime that has been committed. Okay, That's called equality. Equality under the law. That means equality in politics. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're Republican, if you're Democrat, if you're black, if you're white, it doesn't make a difference. Everybody's supposed to be equal under the law. That's why Lady Justice has a blindfold on. She has scales in her hand that does not tip to one side or the other. The law is supposed to be blind to whoever the law is subjugated to. That's called equality. But everybody, equity is something different. Equity is some, something different. I say this because for the majority of my life, I lived on 100% commission-based sales. Um, so, you know, the salary and the hourly thing, uh, I came out of an environment to where you, you ate what you, killed, what you killed, 
right? So however you, however hard you worked that previous two weeks, your paycheck at the end of that two weeks determined this is how hard I worked. That was that was the the drive in commission only base sales. And in the environment that I came out of, you have people that were getting paid different amounts of money, right? So nobody got the same check, right? Uh, to get everybody the same check, that's called equity. That is determining the outcome that everybody deserves the same thing, regardless of how they have worked to achieve it. I do not believe in the equity of all people. I believe in the equality of all people. So with that said, I have to share with you why the Equality Act is disturbing in many different ways. Because the Equality Act is not about um, equality. Uh, the name in, in and of itself will make you think that it's about equality, but it's not about equality. It's about equity. And those are two different things. The Equality Act uh, is a bill that discriminates based on sex orientation and gender identity. This whole gender identity or what we call gender dysphoria is something that is really making the rounds right now. It's really making the rounds right now within the last 10 years, more so than we ever have in the history of our land. Now, we've had people that have suffered with many different things and many different issues, but now we have gender dysphoria where we have uh, people who do not want to be or feel that they're different than their natural born sex has obligated them to be. So a man that was born a male says that he feels like he's a female inside of a male's body. Right. And so now we've labeled this gender dysphoria or gender identity. And we're now in a space in our land. Remember, going back to truth now, truth has to be in order for truth to be something that you can really plant your feet on. It's got to be objectionable. It's got to be free from the environment. It's got to stand upon its own. And we're talking about a truth that has been around for centuries upon centuries, even from the foundation of the world. It is, and, and gender identity is not a social construct now is being turned on its head because of gender identity. And this Equality Act is now taking gender identity and taking it to a whole nother level. Just so those who, who might be listening, who do their research, uh, you'll understand that the, the population in America right now is right around about 360 million uh, maybe 365 million based on whatever poll you may look at. So let's just say at a base level, it's at 360 million people. According to the UCLA School of Law, Williams Institute, UCLA did a study on this. Uh, you can find this on, their, on the Law Williams Institute uh, website. Out of the 360 million people that are in America, an estimated 3.5% of the population of the United States identify as LGBT, 3.5%. Now here's another number that'll blow you back. Out of the 360 million people that are in America, 0.3% of that population identifies as transgender. So we just, we have, an, we have a law that is getting ready to be passed in the law, probably within the next couple of weeks. It'll be going to President Biden's desk. He will sign it, no doubt. And then it will become the law of the land. We are now putting a law in place that only affects 3.5% of the population. Out of 360 million people, 
out of 360 million people across all 50 states in the United States, this is only relegated to 3.5% of them. Well, if you put the 0.3 in there for the transgender, 3.58% of the population is identifying to what this law is specifically, specifically aimed at targeting. And this is greatly concerning because this thing about gender identity, I want again, I want you to, I want you to listen to the wording. This bill prohibits individuals from being denied access to shared facilities, including a restroom, a locker, and a dressing room that are in accordance with the individual's gender identity. Let's break that down. What does that mean? That means that if a man identifies as a woman, because that's how he felt. Now, here's the thing about the gender identity. The gender identity is fluid. Okay, so that means this week I feel like a man. This week I feel like a woman. There's literally no legal means by which you can prove whether or not he's not male or woman. There's no legal basis to prove gender identity. So this week I feel like a man. Next week I may feel like a woman. So here's what that means in everyday practice principles. So you have a man that identifies as a woman. That man, by this Equality Act, can walk right into a woman's restroom. So you have a man, he could even be dressed in men's clothes. He could even be dressed in men's clothes, but can say that I identify as a woman, can walk right into a female's bathroom, and there's nothing that the law can do about it. That is specific. And listen, that is not an overreach. That's not an overstretch. I'm not dramatizing. This is specifically worded just like that in this bill. Now, what does that mean? That means that now, and you see this going all along Colorado, um, especially in Colorado, they're having an influx of it, South Dakota, North Dakota. You're now having biological men who are now identifying as women that are dominating women's sports. I don't know if you guys remember the, the UFC fight um, a couple of years ago where you had a biological man identify as a woman and got into the square, got into uh, the octagon with a natural woman and, and not only beat her to a pulp, but cracked her skull in five different places. Because you had a man fighting a woman, but he identified as a woman. Cracked a skull in five different places. You can go on Google. You can Google it about the UFC fighter that got into the ring and cracked a woman's skull because he identified as a woman. I have a daughter right now that is in track right now. And all the things that are going on right now, every time I go to a track meet, um, I am um, anticipating the, the the firestorm that I will have to be engaged with when I see a natural born man identify as a female and now running in an, a female sport. And so this particular Equality Act is very, very troubling because, again, it's not for the populace. It's for a particular group of people. And this particular group of people is in a place to where they are making a lot of things happen. I want to share this with you um, because last year <laughs> I took a lot of heat. Uh, I took a lot of heat um, 
I had a couple of podcasts on it, but I took a lot of heat when I stood in opposition to Black Lives Matter, the organization, not Black Lives Matter, the movement, uh, the important movement that needed to be had because of the issues of our day. But I took very great exception to Black Lives Matter, the organization. And, and I'm not a prophet, nor do I claim to have been one. But as you see all of the stories that are coming out against Black Lives Matter right now, that assertion way back in June of 2020 proved to be correct. Um, because Black Lives Matter, the organization, is just a money pit um, for uh, an, an elite group of people that is pushing everything except uh, the black agenda. Uh, we know this uh, because of Mike Brown Sr. is now bringing a lawsuit against Black Lives Matter, asking for $20 million uh, because Black Lives Matter rolled his son's death to fame. And now he's asking for $20 million so that he can continue the fight uh, there where he is. Um, uh, to, to continue the movement that they started way back in 2014 and 15. Uh, so you see in all of this, so, so, so when I stood in opposition, not against the movement, not against relegating equality for all black people uh, in the court of law, closing the economic gap, closing the educational gap, I stood and I fought and man, I, I did podcasts, a podcast on podcasts about how to bridge the economic gap, the, the, the educational gap and all of these gaps that exist between the haves and the have nots and tried to put forth some real tangible things about how to close those gaps. But I stood in direct opposition to Black Lives Matter, the organization, because I saw it for what it was worth. Now, I'm bringing a correlation between what I just said with the Equality Act and bringing Black Lives, Black Lives Matter into the conversation. Because as you looked at Black Lives Matter's website, which has now since been changed, the ideas of the, of the organization have not changed, but they realized that they could not have black words on white paper and have this clearly stated so that everybody can see. And so these particular principles that Black Lives Matter stood for that was on their website for the last five years were taken down because people began to start to look and pay attention to what their mission statement was. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Marcus Wiley, Marcellus Wiley. Um, he's a popular uh, black uh, sportcaster. Uh, he took a lot of heat when he stood in opposition to Black Lives Matter and read their mission statement. Now, he did this back in November of 2020, and right when he did it, he has a more prominent voice than I do. After he brought all the attention to that particular website and people went in and looked at the mission statement, right after that, they took the mission statement down. But unfortunately, I, I still have it. And again, they took it down, but this is still a fabric of what the organization, again, organization and movement, two different things, the organization is about. And there's a reason why I'm bringing this up in regards to the Equality Act, because they work hand in hand. The organizational's goals that was stated on their website for five years, for five years, going all the way back to 2015, were clearly stated but when it began to start cause some trouble, they took it down. They did not abandon the mission statement. They took the mission statement down. Black Lives Matter said this, we are self-reflective and do the work required to dismantle cisgender privilege and uplift black trans folk 
especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. Now, a quick Google search will yield you some very astounding results. I tried to go back as all the way back to 2016. From 2016 all the way up into where we are here in March of 2021, there have been 34 cases, federal cases, against black trans people since 2016. But what this particular mission statement says that black trans women or black trans folk are disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. He says this, that we are. Uh, we build a space that affirms black women and is free from sexism, misogyny and environments in which men are centered. So if you don't know anything about Black Lives Matter, I don't have the time to go into it now here on the, on, on the podcast. But Black Lives Matter was started by three women. Uh, two of these women are married to transgender men. And the other woman is a full blown uh, out of the uh, she's married to a lesbian here in, in Canada. So black black lives matter was made or was founded by three uh, self-proclaimed Marxists. Now I'm not adding words. I'm not putting words in their mouth. You can go back and you can look at Alicia Garza, uh, Patrice Couillard and OPL Tamati, and you can see what they say about why they started black lives matter. And if you look into the mission statement and compare what's going on with the Equality Act, you will see hand in hand. And I'm bringing this up for a reason, y'all. Look at what this says. This is in their mission statement that they are since taken down. We want to disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family required in supporting each other as extended family and or villages and collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers and parents and children are comfortable. They said in their mission statement, we want to tear down the nuclear family structure. What is the nuclear family structure? A man and a woman, a husband and a wife, a mother and a father. We foster a queer affirming network, when we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of the heteronormative thinking or rather the belief that all in the world are heterosexual. So specifically, they're saying that they wanted to wage a war against heterosexual people. Now, this is in their mission statement. And so when I kept telling y'all that Black Lives Matter, the, the, the organization ain't got nothing to do with the liberation of black people, that it had everything to do with the with the with with the advancement of the LGBTQ and, and all of these other things and that they were hijacking what was going on with George Floyd and the tragedy that happened with him and all of the racial unrest that we had. They just rolled that wave all the way till 90 million million dollars in donations. They just released their taxes the last year. In 2020, Black Lives Matter, the organization raised $90 million. Not one cent of $90 million went to impact local black communities for education, for, in, uh, um, for economic empowerment, to better black communities. Not one single dollar. All you got to do is just look at their tax returns of 2020. It's in there if you want to look at it. And so now you have that 
And Black Lives Matter, you've seen it everywhere. You saw it on the courts of the NBA uh, season. It was all on there. It was on jerseys. Everybody was Black Lives Matter. So they rode Black Lives Matter, the organization, to the tune of $90 million in donations. But now when you, believe, when you begin to look at what they were actually trying to get done, now you see it. So if we're in a racially divided nation, as so many people have said, why would not one of the first laws that will come out would address the racial unrest that is in the nation that is apparently affected by everybody? Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, all this racial unrest and this racial tension is in America. Why not put together some grassroots policies that affect not 3.5% of the population, but all of the population? Because, everybody, please hear this. When, when you have an agenda, the agenda trumps the people. The agenda is meant to cover my tracks. And so when you're looking at what's going on now with the Equality Act that has now just been signed into law or will be signed into law, this is an absolute concert to what you see happening with Black Lives Matter, the organization. Now, if you follow Black Lives Matter on Instagram, you'll see that they had um, some real bones to, pee, uh, to, 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 to bear against President Biden and, 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 and Madam Vice President Harris. They had some real bones to pick because apparently they did not want to have a meeting with the leadership of Black Lives Matter. And so they went on their Instagram and kind of pitched a fit about this thing until they got what they needed. Now, when you start seeing what's going on with the Equality Act and you start seeing all the things that are being promoted in our time, I want you to see this. Because as, as you're looking at uh, what's going on in our nation, when you look at what's going on in our nation, you'll see some stuff that is really, really disturbing. Um. I have said many times before, man, I, I, you know, I look at my wife and I look at women. Women have always been the core. And I'm talking about from an African-American standpoint in, in this particular context. But women have always been the backbone of our families. We some remarkable women. If you're watching right now, you know, some remarkable women in your life that have done some tremendous, tremendous things. Right. Some tremendous things. And I've often said uh, to some women that I know, talk to my wife, talk to my mom, you know, why women are not more up in arms about this. When you're looking at psychology and you're looking at the, the, the psychiatry of the of the human body, the mind and 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 the mental state of man. If I came into the podcast right now uh, dressed in a Superman costume or if I walked around with a Batman costume, uh, some people would ask me what was going on. Um, if I came and said that I am, you know, we put people in psychiatric wards uh, because they believe that there's somebody else. When a person believes that there's somebody else that they're obviously not, we put a straight jacket on them and put them in a psychiatric ward. Because doctors and psychiatrists have said that there are things that are going on in their mind that are not normal. So if a man comes up and says, I'm Barack Obama, and he walks around and parades around like he's Barack Obama, when obviously he's not, and he tries to live his life as Barack Obama, 
many people with any sense would say that that person has a mental um, instability that needs to be looked at. And there needs to be compassion for that person. There needs to be real compassion for that person who is having some identity issues. In the same way, if a man who is clearly a man identifies as a woman, there are some serious things that we have to consider in regards to his or her mental state. And there needs to be compassion with that individual. They don't, they don't need to be, you know, finger point and, and disparaging them, disparaging them to the degree to where they shrink back in a hole. We have to identify that there are some things that are not right and then help them through that process in the same way that you would take a man who clearly believes that he's somebody that he's not. But now what we have done is we've opened up a space where people that have, in my humble opinion, and in the research that I've been able to do, and this is off of uh, the Journal of Psychology, uh, Psychology and Clinical Psychiatry, um, what has typically been the norm in psychiatry is now being turned upside down. And now the, the, the diagnosis that would have taken place in the early 2000s, the late 1990s, that were clearly known in scientific arenas as being a mental disorder are now being shunned as being diagnosed. So now we've created a space to where people can literally assume that there's somebody that clearly they're not, and we don't get them the help that they need. And why is this so important? I'm going to tell you why. Hear this. This is Section number two of the Equality Act. Uh, let me go to section number one. It says discrimination can occur on the basis of sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, uh, and related medical condition of an individual as, a well, as well because of same uh, sex-based stereotypes. A single instance, this is part two, a single instance of discrimination may have one or more bases. It says counseling a person who has a gender identity is considered to be discrimination against that person as it denies their true feelings. I want you to think about it. that is in the bill in black words on white paper. That counseling a person that says to a man that comes up and says, you know what, I think I'm a woman inside of a man's body. Counseling that person through that, having compassion on that person, realizing that there is something wrong. There's some childhood trauma that is going on. There's something mentally and emotionally going on. And then walking with that person to get them to a place to where they are better. Here's what this bill, this bill says. When you counsel that person, what you're doing is discriminating against that person because you're going against what they really feel they are. Think about that. That is, that is a bill that just passed the House of Representatives. But we wouldn't say that to a man who believes that he's Superman. We wouldn't say that to a man who, climb, who tries to climb walls believing that he's Spider-Man. You would clearly try to, you would clearly first have compassion upon that person. You would clearly have compassion on them. And then you would try as best as you possibly can to walk with them to get them to a place to where they're better in life. But now we've created a space that does not do that anymore. Now, many would say, where is this going to head? 
Um, I'm not, I, this is not a chicken little. The sky's not falling. Uh, but I don't think anybody should be surprised if a woman were to walk into a bathroom, a female bathroom, and see a man there. I, I don't believe that anybody should be surprised by that. Uh, I don't believe that, um, you know, when you see a man in a woman's bathroom, you'll see a woman in a man's bathroom. It's written in the law to where you can't do anything to that person based on the, how they identify so if a, if, a, if, a, if a woman identifies as a man, she can clearly come into a, a, a man's bathroom and, you know, have all of the privileges of the man's bathroom. She can, now watch this. A, a, a man that identifies as a woman can go into a woman's locker room, a, a woman's locker room, because he identifies as a woman. And there's no legal means by which you can stop him. And if you try to stop them, they've already said that the punitive lawsuits that will incur will be so stiff as that you will change your opinion and your stance very, very quickly. When they start hitting you with those nine zero punitive uh, lawsuits, you'll change your opinion very, very quickly. And so many would say, OK, where are we headed? Well, going back to what I said at the beginning, I believe it's because America is drawing away from God and we're telling God we don't want him. We don't want your truth. We don't want your Bible. We want to live life the way that we want to. And I believe God is so gracious of a God that he loves us so much that he's given America over to his desires. Now, please hear this. God always has a remnant. God always has a remnant. But I just want you to know something, everybody. When you speak up against stuff that is error, and when the Bible says that we must confront truth, it is not just talking about uh, confront error. It is not just talking about um, uh, bad doctrine. It's not just talking about somebody that may manipulate the Bible for their own personal gain. It is talking about error wherever we encounter error. Uh, that's, called, that's just called being a Christian. And, and this, in my humble opinion, is error to the highest degree. Uh, because this is normalizing what is not normal. And as opposed to having compassion and as opposed to loving people through this process and getting them the help that they so desperately need, we are placating and bowing down and pushing agendas over people. And it's a sad situation that we're in right now to where people are now just a commodity. They are now collateral damage in order to get the agenda pushed. And that's a sad place for us to be. That's a very, I am so sympathetic to those who identify in those particular positions. If a man identifies as a woman and he's clearly a man, I, I, I have compassion on that person because I know not being a medical doctor, not being somebody that knows all the intricacies of all of these things that's happening in the brain, but I obviously know that something is wrong and compassion, the same compassion that God has on us is the same compassion that I would have with anybody, anybody suffering with anything that is detrimental to their health, to their well-being. We should have compassion on when you see somebody, when you see a drug person out there, somebody addicted to drugs and they're sitting there slouching under a bus stop and they are obviously drunk into a stupor. They're so drunk that they have fallen out on the curb. If your heart doesn't go out to that, if you don't have compassion on a person that is in a lifestyle that is detrimental to their health and to their well-being, then I don't know what I don't know what pushes your button. So we can't normalize this. We can't make laws that assimilate this. I, listen, 3.5 percent of the population 
identifies as LGBT. 0.3% of the population identifies as transgender. You're now telling a four-year-old, a four-year-old, you're asking a four-year-old whether or not he wants to be a boy or a girl. You're taking personal pronouns. You're taking him and and she and mom and dad and husband and wife out of the the, the language of America and saying that's by saying wife, you're being inconsiderate. Come on, y'all. And everybody, if you want to look this stuff up, just go back and look three weeks ago, a month ago, where the House of Representatives put forth the measure that says in the House proceedings, you can no longer um, use personal pronouns when talking about people. So I said of saying brother and sister, you got to say siblings, as opposed to saying mother and father, you got to say parents. Now, now come on, y'all. Seriously. Where's the end in sight? I lastly want to tell you this. This is our of the journal of psychology in which I just referenced and clinical psychiatry. Um, many people don't know this. Um, there was a homosexual manifesto, um, that was read in Congress in 1987, um, and implemented by the anthropic U S Supreme court in 2015. Um, ah, <laughs> uh, this is a homosexual manifesto and it's quite lengthy. Uh, so I won't go through it all. Um, but this homosexual manifesto was given by Michael Swift. Um, he is a gay revolutionary reprinted from the congressional record of the United States Congress first printed in gay community news in February 20, excuse me, February 15th through the 21st of 1987. Let me read that for you again. This is by Michael Swift, who is a gay revolutionary reprinted from the congressional record of the United States Congress, first printed in the gay community news, February 15th through the 21st, 1987. Here's what this gay manifesto of 1987 says. We shall sodomize your sons, emblems of your feeble masculinity. And your shallow dreams and vulgar lies, we shall seduce them in your schools, in your dormitories, in your gymnasiums, in your locker rooms, in your sports arenas, in your seminaries, in your youth groups, in your movie theaters, in your bathrooms, in your army bunk houses, in your truck stops, in all male clubs, in your houses of Congress, wherever men with men are together. Your sons shall become our minions and do our bidding. They will recast in our image. They will come to crave and adore us. Women, you will cry for freedom. You will say you are no longer satisfied with men. They will make you unhappy. We connoisseurs of the masculine face, we masculine physiques shall take your men from you then. We will amuse them. We will instruct them. We will embrace them when they weep. Women, you will say you wish to live with each other instead of with your men. Then go and be glad with each other. We shall give your men pleasures they have never known. And foremost, the men shall be our subjects to please them like no woman can. 
all laws banning homosexual activity will be revoked. Instead, legislation will be passed which engenders love between men. All homosexuals must stand together and as brothers, we must unite artistically, philosophically, socially, politically, financially. We will triumph only when we present a common face of vicious heterosexual enemy. If you dare cry, faggot, fairy, queer at us, we will stab you in your cowardly hearts and defile your dead puny bodies. We shall write poems of love between men. We shall stage plays in which men openly caresses men. We shall make films about love between uh, heroic men and replace them with cheap, superficial, superficial, insipid, uh, and ju- juvenile, heterosexual infatuations of men. We shall sculpt statues of beautiful young men and bold athletes will be placed in your parks and your squares and your plazas. Your museums and the world will be filled with paintings of graceful and naked lads. Our writers and artists will make love between men fashionable. And we will succeed because we are adept to setting styles and trends. We will eliminate heterosexual liaisons through usage of redeeming the rainbow 2003, excuse me, rainbow two, 203 devices with wit and ridicule devices. We are skilled at employing. We will unmask your powerful heterosexual who masquerade uh, uh, your homosexuals who masquerade as heterosexuals. You will be shocked and frightened when you find out that your presidents and your sons and your industrialists and your senators and your mayors and your generals and your athletes and your film stars and your television personalities, your civic leaders, your priests are not safe, familiar, heterosexual figures that assume them to be that are actually homosexual in nature. We have cryptic members in every phase of society. We're careful when we speak of homosexuals because they are always among you. We have an agenda to make homosexuality the lay of the land. Now, if you want to go back and look at that, that's called the Homosexual Manifesto that was read by Michael Swift, the gay revolutionary, reprinted by the Congressional Record of the United States of America, first printed in the Gay Community News, February 15th, 1987. So if you think this stuff is just happenstance and it's just happening by chance and this is not an agenda, you need to wake up. Jesus said that in the last days, these things will happen. I talked about it last week on the podcast. You can go back and look at it. It's in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, that when you see these things start to take place, 18 things he lists, that men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. He lists 18 things that will be prevalent in the last days. And all 18 of those things that he listed in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, you can point to them right now in our current day. And he said, when you see these things start to happen, look up for your redemption, draws nigh. So everybody, this is not um, this is not a a you know a chicken little uh, moment. The sky is not falling, um, but I do believe, and I'm talking to Christians now. 
we have been called to be the salt and the light of the earth. That's what we've been called to do. We've been called to be the salt and the light of the earth. And, and being the salt of the light of the earth, being, being that light exposes. Darkness can never conquer light. I don't care how dark it may be in the room. You turn on the smallest of light and light will always penetrate darkness. Darkness can never overcome light ever, ever. No matter how dark it may be, light will always win out. And so if you are a purveyor of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit residing on the inside of you. If you are me as a parent, as a father, as a lover of God, and you're looking at where our society, our culture, our nation, our world is going and, and the limits that are being taken off right now, I don't worry about me, man. I'm 48 years old. I'm on the other side, you know, heading towards glory. You know, if, 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 if the principle rather than the promise is applicable, then I got 22 more good years if I'm promised three score and 10 years. I'm worried about my 20-year-old right now, my 21-year-old, my 20-year-old, my 18-year-old, my 16-year-old. When they begin to start navigating life, when they start to form families, when they have kids, if I don't toe the line and take the darts and say, you know what, that's not right. Now, I understand that by saying that's not right, that's going to bring a whole lot of stuff against me. I get that. And, and, and listen, there's some mountains that you got you to gotta risk dying on. I, I get it. I, I get that standing up against this stuff can be very um, intimidating. I, trust me. <laughs> trust me. When the vitriol comes your way, it, 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 <laughs> it comes your way. And it is not very comfortable. It is not very encouraging. Um, so I understand that. And, 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 and I talked a lot about that from the 10-minute table talk. I understand that sometimes we want to just kind of go alone to get alone because to stand against it will bring the forces of evil itself against us. Um, but everybody, I want you to see that the direction that we're going, not just in the current time right now, but this has been going on for a little bit. This is all the way back. It's, it's the proverbial frog in the pot. You know, when he gets into the water, it's warm and you just start gradually turning up the heat. And before the frog knows it, the, the water is boiling and it's too hot for him to jump out of. If we don't toe the line and stand for truth, God's truth, not the world's truth, the world's truth and God's truth, the two different truths, and stand up and say, that's not right. That's not right. Uh, the Equality Act that just passed has nothing to do with equality for all races. It does not address any particular racial issues. It does not bridge the gap between the economics, uh, the economic gap that exists, the educational gap that exists. It does nothing about prison reform. It does nothing about the issues of our land that are exasperating the problems that we are facing right now. It addresses none of those issues, absolutely none of them. And none of the articles inside of this bill, none of them address it, absolutely none of them. We could be doing more than this. My point is, those who are in this lifestyle, I'm sensitive to you. I'm sensitive to you. I, I, I am compassionate. Uh, I am praying for you and with you because I believe that God is able. Um, I've said many times that everybody needs Jesus, but some people need Jesus and a therapist. Therapy is, no, there's nothing wrong with a therapist. Please take the, the stigma. I have a doctor coming on prayerfully uh, in the beginning of May, and we're going to talk about mental health. 
Uh, we're going to talk about that from, you know, he's a psychiatrist. We're going to talk about mental health and taking the stigma away from addressing the issues of mental health. Therapists and going to see a doctor for your mind, right? I'm compassionate about those. And so I think we need to be compassionate as with that without placing agendas over people. And so everybody, the Equality Act is something that I stand against. Uh, it is not an Equality Act. Um, it is absolutely wrong. There's nothing about this. If you read all the pages, uh, all the sections, section all the way to section 822, um, if you go and read this particular um, act and read it for yourself, and don't take my opinion, don't take Studio B, but go and look at it and see if everything that I just said on this particular podcast is not inside of the bill. It does not address the mental health of the person that identifies as X, Y, and Z. It, it, it is no provisions. There's no funding that is even remotely aimed towards helping somebody go through those particular issues. Um, it's an agenda. And just like with anything else, uh, in the last days, there were two things that will be prevalent in the last days. That's sexual immorality and drug use. And as you know, right now on the landscape of our world, those two things are prevalent, sexual immorality and drug use. Anything goes. Uh, that's where we're at. And so, everybody, if you are a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and I don't want to just specifically relegate that to Christians, although uh, I believe the Christians have been called to toe the line. Um, if you care about people, if you care about the generations that are following us, and what type of world we're going to leave to them. I believe it's I believe it's time that we stand up and be compassionate first and foremost. Be compassionate first and foremost. But you have to understand the lay of the land. You have to understand what's going on behind the nuances of the stuff that you see on TV. Go behind the headlines, you know, the clickbait. Get behind that and really start to discover what's going on so that you're well informed and that you can make some some well informed decisions about it. Um, heaven forbid the day that I, that my daughter comes running out the locker room talking about a man's in there. And I want to be very careful with my words and be very careful as I measure them. Um, but a man should not, a man should not be in a woman's bathroom. Uh, a man should not be allowed to go into a woman's locker room. I, I, I thought we would be in a place to where we could all universally agree that those two things are off limits. Uh, because now what has to happen is in the WNBA, male reporters can now go into the WNBA locker room when previously they were not able to. Now, women could go into the men's locker rooms. And have, and if you remember Reggie White, my time is coming to an end, but if you remember Reggie White, who used to play for the Green Bay Packers, uh, Green Bay, um, Reggie White uh, pitched a fit about that. 
uh, Reggie White, of course, being a born again man of God, um, had a great uh, disdain for women coming into the locker room where these men were coming out of the showers and had nothing on but towels. And so he made a plea to the league that reporters would have to wait outside and do press conferences outside as opposed to coming into the locker rooms with their cameras and their mics stuck into these men's faces that are many times just coming out of the shower. And, and, and to God be the glory, he won that to where now they had to wait outside until they had press conferences. But now in the WNBA, in any sports league, men can now go into women's locker rooms. It's, it's right there. And so everybody, I, I know that sometimes it gets like, wow, you know, wow, I get it. Because I like, wow, like what's next? But I believe that God in his infinite wisdom, I believe that God in his infinite wisdom, please hear me, I believe this to the core of my being, that God has called for the church. He said in Matthew number 16, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. They're going to try. It's going to push. It's going to push. But everybody, uh, the Equality Act is coming to the church. It's, it's, it's coming. Uh, this, this HR five bill, it's coming to your neighborhood. It's coming to your doorstep. I don't say that to, 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 to scare you, but if you think it's not coming to your doorstep, you're crazy. It's coming. It's coming to your child's school. So I believe that one of the things that I want to leave you with is first of all, I don't want you to be discouraged if you look at the Bible and you read the Bible and you are a purveyor of the word of God, God has warned us and told us what's going to happen. Now, he hadn't told us in specific detail what's going to happen, but he's given us a 30,000 foot view of what it's going to look like. And when these things start to happen, you need to start doing this. Right. That's what the Bible talks about. So there's many places in the Bible to which we can land our eyes and God gives us instructions about what to do in these times. Here's what he's telling us to do. One, we got to have compassion. We got to have compassion. We got to love people. We got to love people. We got to love people through whatever situation that they may be going through. Love just comes from God. Love is God. y'all. You can't get around that. He can't come up in here and jump up and down in church and scream hallelujah and sing all of the praise and worship songs and then get out there and start hating people. That's just not how it works. You got to love people. Compassion should be the fabric of every Christian. But with compassion means that I bring help. I want to be able to talk through the issues, not from a condemning place, but talk through the issues through a place of compassion and then help that person walk through whatever struggle that they may be going through. And I believe that God is calling the church to do that. I do not believe that the God is calling the church to acquiesce to the lay of the land. I believe that God is calling the church to help the land. And that means from your side. That means if you're watching me right now, whatever way that you're watching me or wherever you're hearing me from, God is tapping on your shoulder to ask you to get engaged, to be a part of the solution as opposed to the problem. We can do it. We can do it. Um, everybody, in case you forgot, the government works for us. We don't work for the government. <laughs> we, have a, uh, we have a government that is to and for the people. You can help. 
stand on the side of truth. Uh, look at our children. If, if, if in your life you're at a certain age and you're saying, man, my life is done, I get it. I want you to find a child. And I want you to ask yourself a question when you look at that child, when you look at that baby. And ask yourself a question, man, don't my child deserve better? If you got grandkids, you look at your grandkids and say, man, don't my child deserve better? Don't my grandchild, my grandson, my granddaughter, don't they, don't they deserve the best shot possible? Do you know that there are many hospitals around the world right now, around our nation, that will no longer give you a monogram to determine the sex of your baby? They won't give you a monogram. There are hospitals, major hospitals, that don't give monograms to determine the sex of the baby so that the mom knows what to put into the baby's room. They won't do it. That's where we're at right now. Is it sad? Yes. Is it sad to the point of throwing up my hand and disengaging? No. God is in control. God has a remnant. And if you're watching, you're part of that remnant. Stand up for truth. Stand up for what's right. Don't let your right be uh, Democrat. Don't let your right be Republican. Don't let your right be red or blue. Don't let your right be black or white. Just be right. Just have truth. If you see your fellow brother who is the same skin tone as you acting out of character and that's going to cause detrimental harm to him, his family and people around him, you have a responsibility to speak up for that. In the same way in which he asked Cain, am I my brother's keeper? Indeed you are. So I want to encourage you with these words, everybody. While it looks the way it looks, all is not lost. Truth will always win out. Truth will always win. Eventually, eventually, truth will always win. And if you have Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to him except uh, go by uh, to the Father, except they come by him. So if you have the Holy Spirit of God, uh, be encouraged. This world needs us because we are the lights in this very dark world. So saints of God, be encouraged. Um, thank you, man, for joining us here on the set of Studio B. Um, the next couple of months are going to be... Um, very, 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 some good, good podcast, man. I got some good people coming on. Um, the doctor with the mental health. Um, I got some good people coming on talking about critical race theory and talking about all that other good stuff. Um, some people that's coming on, that's going to be talking about Bitcoin and, and, and cryptocurrency. Uh, cause you know, that's in the nail of the news right now. We're going to be doing some live shows coming up right in, in a few uh, weeks, a couple of months where you can call into the show and actually ask questions and dialogue over the show. So we got some real good stuff coming up and man, I need you to help us to get to 10,000. 10,000 by the end of summer. That's August of this year. Uh, so I think we got six months to go. I believe that we can do it. I know that we can do it. Please, 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 please support us here on the set of Studio B. No matter where you're watching us from, like, follow, subscribe, um, share this with all of your friends, your family, your coworkers. And, and if you don't hear anything else, always know this. God is for you. And if God is for you, it's more than the world against you. We'll see you next week.